welcome to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, Rhea with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. I'm so excited. Today, my guest is Susan Scott. She's the CEO and founder of Fierce Inc., and author of Fierce Conversations and Fierce Leadership. Today, we're going to talk all about the ways in which Fierce Conversations can improve your life and your work. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Rhea. Happy to be here. So Susan, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do at Fierce. Well, we teach people how to have conversations that get results, because most people will tell us that a lot of the conversations and meetings that they have are kind of a waste of time where nothing new emerges you know, nothing, nothing really is accomplished. But the thing is, we also teach everybody why this is so important. So if you think for a moment about the results in your life right now, and you ask yourself, how did I get these results? You know, the personal, professional, financial, spiritual, physical, how did I arrive at all of these results today? Ones I like, ones I don't like. Well, I would suggest that you arrived and I arrived one conversation at a time. Might be one successful conversation or one failed conversation or one missing conversation, which is often the the biggest problem that we have. So business is fundamentally an extended conversation with our employees and our customers and the unknown future that's emerging around us and what gets talked about in any organization, how it gets talked about, and who is invited to the conversation determines what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. So we, what we do is we, we help everybody understand that your life is all about the conversations that you're having. They're either moving you towards what you say you want or away from what you say you want, or they're flatlining you. So what's the point? And then we teach them how to have the, the conversations. Susan, tell me if you would about how you came upon the concept of fierce conversations and how you've used it as a tool to lead and coach leaders. I was hired to chair two groups of non-competing CEOs in Seattle, where I live. And um, each group had 16 uh, CEOs in it. And I would meet with each one of them once a month for about two hours to have what I thought of as sort of a come to God chat about what's going on in your company and what's going on in your life. And then each group would spend one full day together every month to advise one another on their most pressing issues. So I was an English major. I'm all about literature. I'm, I taught English and I wasn't, you know, I don't have a business degree. I don't have an MBA. And so when I was invited to do this, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. And I realized I'm clearly am not going to be advising these 32 CEOs of totally different kinds of companies, what they need to do. I mean, I don't know what they should be doing. So I need to find a way to help them figure it out for themselves. And that's what helped me arrive at what we call a coaching conversation that is very, very different from the traditional coaching conversation where you're not giving advice. You're asking a series of questions that help someone think out loud and arrive at um, a valuable epiphany of sorts and a game plan. 
And, um, you know, it certainly was not my intention to become a leader. Um, that wasn't my path. I didn't aspire to it. You know, it's just that I began to share with people the, the, the epiphanies that I had had. And honestly, Rhea, as I thought about all of the problems that the CEOs were bringing up, um, whether they had a problem to solve or a decision to make or a strategy to design, it all centered around the conversations that they needed to have to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. I mean, conversations were the, the fulcrum from which everything either was lifted or dropped. And so as I began sharing this with people and teaching them how to have these conversations, their response was so wholehearted. And they just kept saying, God, you've got to write this down. Please write this down. And I finally moved in and did. <laughs> One of the things that really resonated with me when I read the book is that I think as human beings, we really want to be seen and we want to be known and we want to be heard. And yet we're living in a time, I think, where it's much harder to actually have a vulnerable and real conversation. So it was fierce conversations about being brave. I have um, a treehouse on an island off the coast of Washington State. And when I am there and friends and family are there, I love to build a campfire uh, on the ground. And as soon as I start the fire, pretty soon people start showing up from wherever they are. They're, they're coming, they're smelling the smoke, they're hearing the crackle of the fire, and it draws us in. We love to be gathered around a campfire. And then pretty soon people are picking up a log and adding a log to the fire and the fire grows and grows and grows. And yes, this is where we sit and tell our stories. And I think of a fierce conversation as that campfire that is so inviting, is so compelling that we want to gather there and we want to tell our stories. And our stories don't always sound like a story. And yet, if we have the if we develop the brave act of listening deeply to people and we gain the courage to disclose what we ourselves are really thinking and feeling, then we will, we will go to a whole different level in the quality of our conversations and they will be memorable. The brilliance of your book is that you create these frameworks to ask really good and thought-provoking questions. And one of the questions that you came up with in this book was, what is the thing that you're pretending not to know? And that question struck me like a ton of bricks because if we all asked ourselves that question more often, I think we'd be engaged in much more interesting and real conversations. So how did you come up with that question? What are you pretending not to know? Someone asked me that question. When I was in my early 30s, and um, I kept telling everybody that my marriage was, you know, wonderful. Everything was fine, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and somebody came up to me who I didn't even know that well and took me by the arm, pulled me over to the side and said, you are so full of bullshit. And I said, what? And he said, your marriage is not going well. What are you pretending not to know? And the moment he said that, I felt like I'd been hit by a, a load of bricks because he was right. And I had been pretending not to know that my marriage was struggling. And it was, it was heartbreaking in a way. But when he said that, I thought, wow, 
there is a conversation that I need to have with my husband. It's, it's, it's absolutely crucial. And I think, I think sometimes what happens is we, you know, couples, for example, by the way, one of the things I love about our work is that even though we're doing most of it at this point in businesses, people are constantly emailing me and telling me they just had the best conversation ever with their spouse, you know, or their child or whatever. But I think when you think about couples, you know, it's like, okay, uh, clearly we can't talk about that because that triggers one or both of us. And we can't talk about that. And we should not bring up that. And we should not talk about this until eventually there are more things that we can't talk about than there are that we can. And, you know, that's why you end up seeing people sitting in restaurants, not talking to each other at all, because they don't, there's nothing they feel that they can talk about that you know, without getting into trouble. And so, well, all of the conversations, but particularly in the, 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 when we teach people how to have great meetings that turn meetings into rip roaring think tanks where amazing things come out. Um, if, you know, everyone is required to, to, to share their perspective in those meetings. And if, you know, if, if someone hasn't said anything and we call on that person and say, you know, what are, what are your thoughts about this? What do you think we should do? And they say, I don't know. Then the response is always, what would it be if you did know? Because you do have thoughts. You wouldn't have been invited to this meeting, to this conversation, if we did not value your perspective. So, you know, what is your perspective on this? So there, 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 a lot of people will come to meetings and never say a, a word and 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 then they leave and you wonder, was that person even present? I mean, what is the point of even inviting them to meetings if they don't contribute? So in in the meetings that we teach, you know, everybody knows, hey, I need to come prepared to share my perspective and uh, be open to other people's perspectives who may be very different, have very different perspectives than I do. The concept of fierce conversation is so simple in theory. It's to ask good questions coming from a place of curiosity and empathy. And yet, why is it so hard for us to do in practice? That is a very good question. And I, I don't know that I have the answer. I just know that it's um, an epidemic. Um, I also think people <laughs> arrive at a certain point in their lives where they really think that they do, in fact, own the truth about this topic or that topic or the other topic, you know, they, they've sort of built their context around a certain topic over their lifetime, you know, opinions and beliefs and perspectives until suddenly it's like, this is the truth about X. And when we're locked and loaded into that, then man, there is, there is no possibility of, of connecting at a deep level with other people who, may see things differently because then it becomes a, I'm right, you're wrong. Um, and then when somebody says, you know, great minds think alike, we think, yep, you and I think alike. We have great minds. Whereas the opposite is true. Great minds think differently and really like to explore one another's perspectives and really understand it's not about coming to an agreement. It's not about reaching consensus, but it's about, <laughs> Allowing learning to take place through all of our lives, allowing our worldview to expand, allowing the possibilities for ourselves, for our organizations, for one another to expand. And most of us operate from this tiny back bedroom of our lives. And we, 
never make it out into the living room, much less into the highway that's out in front of us where all of this amazing stuff is going on. So we keep ourselves and other people very, very small. And, you know, we're very careful in our conversations, which drives me nuts because I think a careful conversation is almost always a failed conversation because it merely postpones what it is that the conversation wants and needs to be about. So, you know, Fierce is all about, look, I'm, I am going to disclose what I'm really thinking and feeling, and I am praying that you will do the same so that we can, and, and we can question one another and we can really get to a, a much deeper understanding. I think the concept of having a fierce conversation now more than ever is really important. And yet at the same time, given our political and social climate, feels more scary than ever before. I mean, we're definitely living in a time where things are charged and things feel very raw. So I'm wondering, how can we find the strength to have the fierce conversations that need to happen when it feels so much scarier and more threatening to do so? Well, one of my very, very, very best and oldest friends um, voted for Trump and is a Trump supporter. And and I didn't and am not. And so she and I uh, were on a like a five hour little road trip. And I just decided to to say, you know, I, I know you're a Trump supporter. Can you tell me all about, you know, your your thoughts? And I just asked her a whole bunch of questions. And it was a great conversation. And I was quite nervous about going into it because I didn't want anything to happen that would cause me to stop loving her, you know, to caring about her, to, to, to unfriend her. Um, and so, but we, you know, we, we had a, a really meaningful conversation because my goal was not to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You know, it was just to say, help me understand where you're coming from. And I really mean it. A lot of people say, help me understand. And they don't really mean it at all. I really want to understand. And so, you know, tell me about this. Tell me about that. What about this? What if this happens? What if that happens? How would you feel about so-and-so? And it was a really rich conversation. And I just think, I think we, we have become so careful um, that we actually are afraid we're going to step on a landmine. And there are there are individuals out there who are landmines and are just looking for a reason to explode all over us. And those people, I, I try to avoid those people because I'm not here to say you have to be like me or you have to change. I'm, I'm Nobody has to change. It's just that everybody has to have the conversation. And when the conversation is real, sometimes the change occurs before the conversation has even ended. But if, you know, if, if someone is really dug in and is explosive in their views and comments um, or, or is attacking um, of other people, name calling, all those kinds of things. Well, I don't I don't really want to have that person in my life. Life is short. And with some people, it is way too long, you know. <laughs> So at Fierce, what are the other kinds of conversations that you teach and what are the different ways in which we can use those conversations to further our understanding and our relationships? 
Well, we, I, I've already mentioned that we, we teach um, how to have amazing meetings. And most people will say, oh, my God, the meetings are so boring. You know, the usual suspects are present. We always know what everybody's going to say, you know, and some people won't say anything at all. So we, we use the model that I did develop with my CEO think tanks that ensured that we got way past the easy idea, the superficial thinking and got into deeper waters and more innovative waters where we would come out with an idea no one person in the room would have had on their own. So that's something that we teach. And they're fondly known as beach ball meetings because the the concept is that a company or an organization is like a beach ball and everybody is standing on a different colored stripe. And if you asked any one of them, what color is the organization? You know, if I'm, if I'm living on the green stripe, I'll say it's green and I can tell you why, you know, and I can point to all the green. Whereas a person on the other side is standing on the red and is looking at me and thinking, what the heck is she talking about? So in, in a beach ball meeting, we really want to explore all of the stripes. We want to interrogate multiple competing realities so that learning can be provoked for everybody in the room. And in doing that, we tackle and resolve our toughest challenges. And in the process, we enrich relationships. So there's that meetings. Then we teach the coaching conversation, which is, you know, it's just, it's just turns coaching on its ear. And a lot of coaching organizations use this um, model from time to time. Uh, some people swear by it. Um, I use it quite frequently. It is a series of questions. It's known as mineral rights because if you are drilling for gold, um, it's better to drill um, one, you know, one one thousand foot mine or shaft than than a thousand one foot shafts. We really need to go deep. So um, it's about getting someone to think out loud for themselves about what is the most important thing. And by the way, it begins by asking in a very ceremonial way, given everything that is on your plate right now, everything that has your name on it, what is the most important thing you and I should be talking about? And it starts there. That's the first question. And then it helps the person go very deeply into that topic um, and emerge with a here's here's my next step. And, you know, after which, if the coach has a suggestion or two, they can offer it, but not until then. So there's the coaching conversation. And then there, well, there are quite a few others, but I'll just mention two of them. One of them is about confrontation and people want, they always say, teach me that one first. I need to learn that one. But we, we say, well, we'll, we will get to that. We promise we'll get to that. But first you need to understand, you know, the foundations on which all of this is built because even a, a confrontation is, is like a beach ball um, conversation in that I will tell you where I'm coming from. And then I really want to know where you're coming from. I mean, I really do want to know. And so it, it's, um, there are so many things wrong with the usual ways that we confront, you know, we, we, we sort of wait until we're 
very upset about something and then we go in sort of loaded for bear and we sort of dump all over somebody, you know, this is what you're doing and this is so upsetting and this this has to stop and you need to blah, 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 blah. You know, no wonder those don't go well. So uh, this particular approach helps the person who's going to confront someone prepare a 60-second opening statement invitation that absolutely clarifies the topic and sets the scene and invites the other person to begin talking. And it is just really very powerful. And one of the things I love is that in all of our trainings, we don't role play, we real play. So people, you know, they think of a real person in their lives and they prepare the opening statement for that person and they practice it with someone else in the room um, and get feedback on it and get feedback from the whole class. Uh, another one that I'll mention that that really, if we get this one right, we would probably hardly ever need to confront, has to do with feedback. And, and that's something else where, boy, are we lousy at giving feedback. So our approach really takes the curse off of um, feedback and makes it easy and makes it even almost enjoyable and stops things right where they could go horribly wrong. You know, of late, there's been a lot of conversation about the importance of creating a feedback culture. And yet, in the nonprofit space, I find that a lot of folks feel very challenged in giving really critical, good feedback or confrontation because it's a very nicey, nice culture. So I'm just wondering, how do we get past this fear of being nice and actually get real? Yeah, yeah. And and yes. And let me just say, it feedback and confronting, if it comes to that, is very important because you get what you tolerate. And as if you keep tolerating something that is not working well, then, and you don't, you don't have the conversation, then, hey, um, you just really at some point need to stop complaining about it and go have the conversation. And so we teach people how to treat us. So, you know, we if we let people get away with something that we feel, hey, that did not feel good at all. Um, and but, but we don't we don't ever say anything about it. Then they've learned, oh, I can I can talk that way to this person. So. I'll give you, uh, let me give you a couple of examples. One, uh, one actually happened to me years ago before I knew anything about feedback, before I wrote fierce conversations or had even conceived of the idea where um, after teaching um, English, I ended up working for a headhunting firm and I was, I became a, a manager and then the vice president. And I was walking through the office one day and I heard one of our employees yelling on the phone at clearly at a client, just yelling into the phone and then hanging up. And I, I, I went over and I, I said, you know, that's terrible. That's horrible. I mean, how could you do that? I mean, that's, we don't do. And he said, she's deaf. (laughs) You know, she kept saying, what? I can't hear you. I can't hear. If I, if I, that was, the beginning of one of my insights, if I had gone to him and said, wow, you were really yelling into the phone. Can you tell me what was going on? And then he would have said, yes, that client is very hard of hearing. And 
it's, it's very hard to deal with. And I know it sounds horrible. You know, so we have to recognize that we tend to make up stories about people and then behave as if our stories are true. So our stories usually are not true, but we get very attached to those stories. Here's another example. Let's say somebody, I'm in a meeting and somebody's leading the meeting, not me, somebody else is. And there's a person at the table who's held up their hand several times and who is completely ignored throughout the entire meeting, is never called upon, never gets to share her perspective. If we were going to use the fierce model, you would go to the person and say, hey, um, I noticed in the meeting that Jane tried to get your attention, I think on three or four different times to comment or ask a question and you you never acknowledged her. Can you tell me what was going on? He might say, oh my God, really? I did not notice. I'll tell you, we've got a newborn at home. I am so sleep deprived. I probably shouldn't even have come in. I did not notice I will go to her and apologize immediately because I value her input so much, you know? And of course, if he had said, well, because Jane's an idiot and I didn't really want to, you know, I don't want to rest, waste our time with her. That would have been a different conversation as it progressed. But our feedback approach stops us at the point of, I have judged you to be wrong and bad and all of this. It just says, this is what I saw this is what I experienced. Can you tell me what was going on? And give them a chance to respond. That, you know, I think most people probably have heard the phrase triangulating. And that's what that's what I'm doing when person A is bonding with person B over their mutual loathing of person C, who who has no idea because, you know, and that's so toxic. For any culture, do not do that. Go and have the conversation with the person. Don't be talking about somebody behind their back. Um, And a good leader would, if somebody started to do that, you know, come to you and start to do that, would, would stop them and say, have you talked with him or her about this? And if they said, well, no, because just stop, go and have the conversation. And I would say, you know, it would help, yes, if they read fierce conversations or were trained in fierce conversations, that would help them immensely in having a really good, productive conversation. But no, you don't get to come in here and dump all over somebody if you haven't even tried to have a conversation with them about it. In the book, you have all of these beautiful case studies about how conversations have really opened and changed relationships. And I'm just wondering what you do or what you have done in cases where the other person either refuses to engage or refuses to accept responsibility for their role in a relationship. And there are quite a few people out there like that. We, we, you know, most of us know several, maybe we have been that person ourselves from time to time. Um, and, and I think we just have to uh, pursue that person, maybe not in that moment, uh, but we have to come back to them at some point or even then in the conversation and say, clearly, you don't want to have this conversation and do not want to acknowledge your role in any of this. Uh, and that leaves us in a very unhealthy 
place uh, with with unfinished business and bad feelings. So tell me when, if not now, tell me when you'd be ready to sit down and, and, and have the conversation with me about this topic in a way that can move things forward. And just, you know, you just kind of have to be persistent. And, and if the person continually says no, then you probably need to exit that person from your life or from your organization, because that person may be in no immediate danger of ever um, being, you know, mature enough to have the conversations. It's amazing to me how terrified so many adults are about having a conversation that they think may bring out emotion in themselves and the other person. And yet, and I, and I'm old enough that I was taught, you know, emotions have no place in the workplace. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, if that were true, we'd have to leave our souls out in the parking lot in our car. Emotions are so important. In fact, there have been the Nobel prize for economics was won by um, a professor who discovered that people make decisions first for emotional reasons and second for rational reasons. You know, we have to acknowledge there may be emotions here. I might get a little emotional and that's all right. I just don't want to act it out. Like if I'm angry with someone, I might be feeling it in the moment. I just don't want to act it out. Uh, but if I could even say to someone calmly, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. And if I say it calmly, rather than I am so angry, you know, if I just say I'm, I'm angry about this, that is pretty powerful. And it's just, it's, it's down to courage. But I think one of the great things that we do is we give people the skill, because if you don't have the skill, then it's hard to muster the courage. You know, you can say, I really want to have these conversations, but I don't know how. So, you know, Fierce is all about, we'll, we'll, we'll teach you why they're so important. We'll teach you what the conversations are and when to use them. And we'll teach you how to use them. But can I just say, Ria, honestly, Fierce is, it's a way of life. It's not just, um, you know, it's, something you pull out of your pocket on special occasions. It's a way of showing up in the world 24-7, seven days a week. Uh, is extremely pragmatic because after all, it came from my 14 years and well over 10,000 hours of conversations with CEOs, very results oriented. But it's also on a personal note, I mean, you have to ask yourself, what are the conversations that have my name on them? And then, you know, I've been avoiding. You know, as I was reading Fierce, it occurred to me that it was particularly relevant for the nonprofit sector and more specifically in fundraising. And so I talked to a lot of fundraisers and I've raised lots of money for many, many years. And I have to tell you, I've never raised money off the back of a fancy PowerPoint presentation. I've raised money when I've engaged in real conversations with donors about their hopes and their dreams and their values and what they want to leave in the world. And so I'm just wondering, can we just stop pitching and start connecting with people? Well, I agree with you completely. Um, A huge international consulting firm brought me in because they were, um, you know, they'd be asked by a client to come up with a solution and, and the solution, it it might be a billion dollars that they'd be paid for this or many, 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 many millions. And it costs them a lot of money and a lot of time to prepare their pitch. And then they would pitch and the client would say, thank you very much and hire the other guys. 
and they didn't understand what was going on. And it was because of exactly what you said about they would go in with all their bells and whistles. In fact, I went to their one of their London offices and they very proudly showed me this amazing room that they had spent, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars on this room that was all about their pitch um, and, and had all these special effects and technology. And it was pretty amazing. And the person would stand almost at a, really at a, like a podium and pitch from the podium and make all these magical things happen. And at the end I said, well, but there, there was no conversation, you know, and this was so scripted. There was no opportunity for the client or the prospective client to say, well, you know, can I ask about that? Or, but what about this? And, you know, I think your people need to put away the script. And the person I was talking with, he said, they, they would never, they would never ever do that. They have to have their PowerPoints. And I, I said, well, there's your problem right there. <laughs> I want to switch tacks a little bit right now and talk about feedback. So again, there's been a lot of writing about the importance of feedback. And I'll just share a personal experience I had, which is I had a couple of millennial staff members who were several levels below me and they were talking about, "Well, well, I need more feedback. I need more feedback. And so I you know, we took them in a room, I gave them feedback, and I could just feel, see their faces blanch. And I was like, oh, you don't want feedback, you want compliments, which to my mind was a completely different thing. So, you know, they walked away from the conversation feeling bad, I walked away feeling confused. So I'm just wondering, how do we give people feedback, especially when we're working intergenerationally and, and specifically with millennials who, uh, you know, stereotypically we think of as not being able to handle hard feedback? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One is I, you know, I, the, the book Fierce Leadership, the, the subtitle is a bold alternative to the worst best practices of business today. And the first one that I address is 360 degree anonymous feedback. Um, my, my stance is that we should be giving feedback 365 days a year, um, uh, face-to-face if at all possible. Um, and it should include praise and, and questions about possible course corrections that need to be made because a relationship is created one conversation at a time. And you know, you mentioned, let me just b- backtrack for a second and then come back to this. Years ago, I heard um, David White, who's a poet from Yorkshire, England, say, uh, the young man who's newly married is often frustrated, perplexed, even irritated that this lovely person um, to whom he has plighted his troth and with whom he hopes to spend the rest of a glorious life uh, insists on appearing before him on a regular basis, wanting to talk yet again about their relationship, you know, and he was, why are we, why are we, why? And, and, and he said, you know, long about age 42, and he smiled because he was 42 at the time and married. He said, long about age 42, if he's been paying attention, it dawns on him, this ongoing conversation that I have been having with my wife is not about the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And when we share that in our trainings or in our any talks that we give people, you can just see the penny drop. 
as it did for me when I heard it. I mean, I was like, oh, wow. Why did, why had I not put that together? That is brilliant. It is so true. And if, you know, if we think there is something to that, then if you and I add yet another topic to the list of things we're unable to talk about, then all of the possibilities for our relationship become smaller. And all of the possibilities for the individuals in the relationship become smaller until one day I, I recognize I am making myself quite small. I am behaving as if I am just the space around my shoes. I am engaged in yet another 30-second conversation that is so empty of meaning it crackles. So feedback is simply one of many, many conversations. If I don't already have a healthy relationship with someone, if they don't already trust that I do see and value the things about them that they are bringing to the effort and to the team, to our goals that are really helpful, then if if I come to them and say, hey, this isn't going so well, I think you could do better here, that will be very off-putting. And it, it's, I haven't sort of, I haven't, I haven't created the kind of emotional capital that I need to acquire. And I think that's our most valuable currency. You know, money's great, but emotional capital is where we really come into our own and where we, our relationships are enriched and where we trust one another and we truly are eager to hear um, anything that somebody has to say, good or not so good. So we have to think of feedback as simply one of many conversations. And I remember so many years ago, um, you know, I think it was Ken Blanchard who said, you got to catch people in the act of doing things right. And I agree. And, and so we need to do that. And we don't do that nearly enough and say, wow, you know, how you handled that just blew my socks off. That was awesome. That's feedback. And so, and also it's really good for anyone in a leadership position to ask for feedback um, themselves and be specific about it. Because if you just say, do you have any feedback for me? The person will not know what to do or what to say. But if you say, you know, you were in the meeting today and I'm always looking for ways to, to run a better meeting. Do you have any suggestions for how I could have improved, you know, and, and, and mean it and listen and say, Ooh, say more. And thank you. Thank you. We're modeling, we're modeling what it is that we are hoping other people will do as well. Now, what would you say to the busy nonprofit executive who says, okay, Susan, great, I'm bought into this fierce conversation thing, but really, I don't have enough time to have fierce conversations with all of my direct reports with everything I have to do. What would you respond to that? Well, <laughs> I, believe me, that is something that I hear uh, all the time. In, you know, in the real world, we are all very, 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 very busy. So, for example, the um, it, let me just say a couple of things. One is if I'm if I with my direct reports, I need to have a mineral rights slash coaching conversation with them at least once a month. And once a month will do it because because remember, I am asking them what is the most important thing you and I should be talking about? And that's what we're going to talk about. And we're going to have a really rich conversation about that. So certainly I can go with them with my list of other things. 
um, that I want also want to chat about. And we can do that and probably dispense with it fairly quickly. But this once a month, what do you want us to talk about is an incredible opportunity to learn what's really going on with somebody, not be caught um, by surprise when some, if something sort of is not going well and is about to blow up. Uh, and also that that person is seen and heard and, and valued and they know it. They experience it because of that conversation. So once a month with your direct reports, have that conversation. That's not too often. That's not too much. And if you have too many direct reports, then you need to start doing some delegating. And we have a whole course on that as well. Um, the, the meetings, if, if, I is, if I'm going to call a meeting, I need to follow protocol um, for a beach ball. <clears throat> and it needs to start with me clarifying what is, what's, the, what's the issue, what's the topic on the table, and why is it important? And to fill out a form that everybody gets so that they come to the meeting understanding what is this meeting about and what what is it that the leader wants to hear from me. So if I'm not doing that, then I'm probably wasting a lot of people's time, and my, including my own. We, we don't have time. And I don't think that fierce conversations take more time. In fact, I think they take less time because they're so much more productive. You know, it's funny. I just saw this candle where you light it every time you are in a meeting that should have been an email. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that, but but the other thing is that um, sometimes we send emails when we're too chicken to have the conversation. So that doesn't work either. <laughs> Susan, we are out of time, but I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show, for sharing this idea with us, and for challenging all of us to have fierce conversations and to be brave. We'll make sure to put all of the information about fierce in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. You're so welcome, Rhea. It was a pleasure.